Do you know the author? No, I don't, and I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story. You know. Have you a real love of books and learning? Episode 35 of the Adventures in Library Instruction podcast. It's uh, April 2012, and uh, we're back with you this month to talk about uh, guiding on the side. Uh, two of our three regulars are here. Uh, we have one absentee, but we're making up for it with a very special guest this month. So um, I'll introduce myself. I'm Jason Puckett, and I'm the uh, communication librarian at uh, GSU Library in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, to my left is my lovely co-host, Anna. How are you, Anna? Hi, Jason. This is Anna Vanskoik. I am a part-time librarian at a county library system in the lovely state of New Jersey, and I am very excited to have with us today um, Meredith Farkas, who is the head of instructional services at Portland State University, and I just learned that she grew up in the exact area where I work, so my library system was her library system when she was a young lass growing up in New Jersey. Meredith, go ahead and um, say hello to everybody and tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Great. All right. Um, hi, I'm Meredith Farkas, and as Anna said, I'm the head of instruction at Portland State. Um, I will have been here one year exactly tomorrow. Um, oh, my God. So, oh I my remember gosh. you blogging about your new job. And I can't believe that's been a year now. Me neither. It's been like a tsunami of craziness. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's been a year. And prior to that, I was the head of instruction at a small private college in um, Vermont called Norwich University. And, um, you know, my role is mainly focused on coordinating instruction, um, managing um, some of the instruction librarians, and trying to build a culture of assessment, which is really, really hard. Yes. <laughs> we, try to, we try to wrestle it to the ground in every episode, I swear. <laughs> well, if, uh, if you're listening to this, you are probably already uh, interested in library instruction, so you probably are already aware of uh, Meredith's blog at Information Wants to be Free. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, of course. And uh, you're also a columnist for American Libraries. Oh, right. Yes. I forgot about all that stuff. Yes, I do other things. Um, <laughs> yes, I write a column for American Libraries, and um, I also teach for San Jose State University in their um, online uh, Master's in Library Science program, which is really, really fun and gives me kind of a view of the other side of teaching and online stuff, online education, because I was a distance learning student um, for my library degree, Mm -hmm. and then I was a distance learning librarian, and now I'm a distance faculty, which is really neat. Where did you you get your library degree? Uh, Florida State. I didn't realize. I went to Florida State as well. I didn't realize we were both. There you go. I graduated in 2008. Ah, I was 04. Okay, yeah, I knew you were you were in the 
professional a bit longer than me. I had forgotten. I may have known that at, at one point that we both went to Florida State. So um, it would be interesting to compare notes sometime about how the uh, the program changed over those few years. I'm sure it's changed a lot since I graduated even, and that was, you know, four years ago. So, God, I can't believe that's been four years. Yeah, I'm going to st- stop saying that. <laughs> They didn't even have a class on instruction, like when I was there, other than for K through 12 librarians. I'm like, yeah, we teach in public libraries. We teach in academic libraries. Could we please have something? Wow, that's that's really amazing. Because when I was there, we I mean, we did have an instruction class. And I think I've talked about it on, on the podcast before. I'm sure I did. And they kind of grouped us by what our primary interest was. So when like the first week of class. Um, they said, what is, you know, are you interested in going into K-12 or academic or special or whatever? And so they kind of put us into to group projects based on that, which uh, which I thought was a good idea. Oh, good. So I'm glad they got the got the message. Abs- yeah, yeah, they, they absolutely did. Um, so we uh, we asked you on the, the program. I mean, we've been meaning to, to have you on the podcast for a while, but uh, the thing that sort of spurred our uh, our invitation this time was your column. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking for the name, the, the, the column that you did, uh, guiding on the side. Yeah, guide on the side. Yeah, guide on the side. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, just to kind of introduce the topic, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Well. Um... You know how um, Educause has these conferences, these regional conferences, as well as like the big Educause conference. So there was one in Portland, and um, it was so expensive that I didn't go, but my distance learning librarian did because she was um, doing a, a poster presentation. And she came back and was so excited about this thing she'd seen from University of Arizona. And then another colleague who'd gone was talking about the same thing, this guide on the side thing. And, oh, my gosh, Meredith, it's so very exciting. And they sent me a link, and I saw it, and I was like, we need to have this at our library, like, yesterday, like, two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 1999. (laughs) Yes, seriously. Like, like this was exactly what, you know, we should have been doing from the beginning in, in, you know, getting students actively using databases while they're, learning about how to use databases online. But but so I, you know, contacted the folks there both because I wanted to have us be a pilot institution for it, um, but also I thought everybody should know that this exists because it's just such a smart idea and I wanted to write about it in my column and that's how it happened. So we'll uh, we'll link to your uh, your column, of course, and your um, examples about this. I'm looking at the um, the JSTOR example that you linked to, um, and it's really cool. It's uh, the tutor- if if I'm describing this well at all, the tutorial, which is not not like a video tutorial. Often we use tutorial as synonymous with video, but it's more like a quiz, really, and it's kind of embedded. Uh, it's got instructions and and questions that are embedded on the left side of the page, and then in the right side of the page, there's an actual search box. They've got, uh, you know, it looks like their their library site, or they've got, um, uh, uh, J- this is a JSTOR uh, tutorial here, and they're both in the page together, and so the instructional stuff is on the left side of the page, and the actual live database is on the right side of the page, which is a really, really cool idea, and it's one of those things that seems super obvious when you see some 
when you see an example of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, why, why have I never seen this before? <laughs> exactly. And I, I, over time, I've become less and less enamored with this screencast, the video tutorial for databases in particular, not just because it's a complete pain to have to update them when the interface changes, right. but I had read this study, um, and I can't remember, I could swear it was someone at UIUC who did the study, um, where students had like a static tutorial and then a video tutorial, and like they had them in, the students in different groups. And the students who did the video tutorial found it more engaging, but they were actually not any, like, not more capable of using the resource that they saw the tutorial on right, because they could. They're just couldn't... watching it, right? Exactly. You can't actually, like, easily go back and forth and practice while right. you're watching this video. So, like, once they read that, it just clicked in my head. And I'm like, I am never making another database tutorial as long as I live. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> No more screencasting. Yeah, no more screencasts. Yeah, database tutorials that are not screencasts, okay, you know, where people can can skim and scan. And I should have known that because I hate watching screencasts, and they're not for me. And I, I should have, you know, not been such a librarian and thought, oh, but it's such a great technology. We have yeah. to be using it. The thing with screencasts is I remember – preaching them at one point and I remember also preaching that they had to be succinct and and inevitably they would become these two minute here's how to search something and it was just two minutes is way too long I mean I've used it I this is how I've used it um and working in the public library sectors I get someone who emails me with a very specific situation and I have sent them like 10 second clips. Here's where you go. This is what you do. And that's it. I mean, that, there's no narration, no nothing. And it's, it's just something quick for them to refer to because it's, it, it's quick. It's quick and it tells them exactly what they need. And obviously there's a point, a very specific point that you're trying to make with it. But what's interesting yeah. about the JSTOR example that um, Meredith had put in the um, American Libraries article guide, guiding on the, or the guide on the side and I could have sworn that we had tried this back in the day when frames was the big thing. Do you remember when we had frames mm. in our web pages? Yes. And yep. we tried it, and frames were so wonky, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe it's just that programming languages have developed, and now – I mean, you look at that JSTOR, and it lo- it's slick. I mean, it is, that's the word yeah. that came to mind. I'm like, this is so slick. And you're actually – you are doing – a. a there's an interaction. It's not just them watching something. They're actually following it. They don't have to navigate the um, the screens. You know how you have to like go from one one website to another website, and you're going back and forth, and you mm-hmm. lose your place and you lose your concentration. I think when you're doing that, which is what we were trying to make all these people do <laughs> for so right, long. Right. Yeah, and this isn't you know super intelligent in the sense that you can get off track you know somebody could keep reading the stuff on the side you know the guide on the side stuff and then later you know realize oh i should have been doing stuff in jstor or whatever they could certainly you know it's not super intelligent in that way but i mean you're it's on the same page you know you can you can easily navigate back to where you started and not be completely confused it would be great i mean if if you know, when you go ahead, the JSTOR screen would go ahead too. But 
even without that, it's so much better than having stuff on separate pages and expecting people to be able to, you know, go back and forth really easily. So how hard is this to set up and implement? Do you need to, I mean, and, and I don't know if you know the answers to some of these questions, but um, do you, I'm, I'm wondering how easy this would be to just embed into, you know, a, a LibGuide page or, or something like that. Is it something where the librarian would need to be, uh, to dig into the code or is there like a nice front end that you can build these things? I know there is, they they developed it because they wanted the instruction librarians to have a simple front end for building this stuff. So right. I know that's the case. It's based on um, Cake PHP, which I think is fairly simple um, programming framework. I know, I mean, what do I know? But <laughs> well, I don't either. And that's yeah. You know. <laughs> when I went when I went to our our technology folks, and I was like, I really want to do this. And they said, Okay, what what is it based on? I'm like, I have no idea. When they when they found out, they said it was relatively straightforward to implement. So I was like, Good. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Well, I can see. Um, I see your note at the end of your uh, your column where you, you mentioned that they're planning on releasing the uh, the source code this summer. So um, I guess it's not available yet, but we can look forward to to having it. I think this is really a neat um, idea. Are you guys um, have you have you started building these yet? Yourselves? We haven't. We're waiting. They said probably in May they are going to. Um, get the source code in like a package that we could actually use as a pilot institution. So we're just basically waiting on that. And then we're going to do some serious playing with it. Cause I'm just over the moon over it. <laughs> well, you know, if this is something that's because my, my library has been talking a lot, big surprise about assessment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not alone in that. Um, this is something we're supposed to be incorporating a lot more of into our classes. And I've, I've talked about it lots of times on the podcast so far. And I've done kind of a clue, uh, a colleague and I did kind of a kludgy, um, Google Docs quiz as an assessment tool. And, you know, um, it, it's fine for what it does, but something like this is just a lot more elegant and it would give them an activity to do while they're doing the quiz. Cause I mean, this, this, um, uh, sidebar thing is really, you know, there's a quiz in there. It's got some instructions. Okay, do right. this. And then how many results did you find? Or did you find this article? Or, or, you know, what's this thing that you're looking at? And so on. Um, so it, uh, it's, it's a lot more elegant, a lot more interactive. And I would love to be able to put something like this into libguides for all of my classes. I think that would be a really neat thing to be able to build, you know, course specific. Um, um, quizzes or tutorials for uh, yeah. for all of these things. I think that would be a great way to uh, to do it. Does it collect? Um, I mean, it must collect the uh, the answers in some form, right? What, do you know? I'm assuming so. I would certainly hope so. But I know I know they were really wanting to do assessment because they had moved from a, you know, we can't do the high touch instruction that we want to do, so we're doing this instead so i'm i would assume that they are collecting that in some way i'm not 100 percent sure and and if they don't we will certainly design it to do that and we'll share it as well <laughs> yeah because i mean it's if it uh, if it grades the answers at the end and i'm, I'm sort of clicking through the tutorial to see if it gives ah. you a, give you gives you a grade at the end then mm-hmm. then presumably it um 
it, it's collecting the the data somewhere and you can just drop it into a a database and run reports on it or something like that that would be super cool yeah um, and i mean you know it's giving us what we need but it's also you know assessment that is learning for the student which i think is you know it's not just some extra oh could you please fill out this survey at the end or whatever you know they're learning something from the activity that they're doing right and they're getting that immediate feedback aren't don't they get yeah. any, i think when if it tells them you know even if they they like say how many numbers or how many articles they got it'll kind of let them know yeah yeah you know okay that's a lot you can narrow it down it kind of starts guiding them through it a little bit yeah it's it's just just what you know you want to be doing in like an in-person interaction but we can't touch every single student right so what what kind of learning objects are are you guys using right now um i know you've done some other works with with learning objects and you've said you never want to make another um uh another video screencast (laughs) tutorial again what what kind of stuff are you doing well i'll preface that i don't want to do a database screencast tutorial oh okay i i think screencasts are okay for um teaching like ideas like what is peer review or how do you brainstorm keywords but when it's something that like they actually need to be like using to really learn yes i don't think it's a good fit but and it's funny because i think that with and I know we're getting up, we're going back on screencasts again. I'm sorry, Jason, but it's just, I think that that's what we were thinking is that the screencast was going to initiate in some activity with the person who was watching it. And I'm just like, what an asinine thing to think. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Cause I was, well, and I remember, I remember seeing a screencast um, from the Calgary public library, like 800 years ago, but, and they don't even have it anymore. But like they had actually put some interactivity into it using Captivate, and but all the interactivity was was like click here, click here, click here. It wasn't, you know, you're not really like using it in a meaningful way. Like you're clicking the search button. Woo! Yeah, well, there was no I, critical thinking going on. Right there. <laughs> I think that's one of the big problems yeah. with. I think I think that's. I'm sorry, I was talking over you. Um, I think that's one of the big problems, though, with screencasts is that they're so easy to do badly. Um, <laughs> they they really are. It's so easy to make a bad screencast tutorial. Um, one of the thing we have a, an instructional designer um, on our staff here now, and one of the guidelines that she has laid out for us that we are no longer allowed to say in our uh, in our tutorials, and we are doing a lot of screencast tutorials. I'll just put that out there, but we are we are not allowed to say the word "click" in any of our our tutorial narration. That we're not allowed to say that. Yeah, because it can be you know um, use this feature or. What, I, and I'm not even thinking of a good... I always struggle with this because what are you describing on the screen? You're describing click here and then click here and then <laughs> right. cl- click here. But it gets uh, it gets repetitive so easily. And I thought that was just such a, a genius thing to forbid us to do. I thought that was a great idea. But we, we are still using a lot of screencasts. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm working on... Well, I'm not working on it. I'm done working on it. Our instructional designer is, is editing... Right now, I did a, um, a Zotero class uh, last semester or earlier this semester, and I actually got it video recorded. I had somebody from the campus IT department come over with a, uh, a video camera and record me teaching. Mm-hmm. And there were several places where um, 
he was pointing the camera at me as I'm talking, which seems like a logical thing to do. But meanwhile, I'm pointing at the big screen in the classroom, and you can't see what I'm talking about because I'm pointing at the screen. So oh. uh, this is a very long, rambling story, but the point of this is that I made some little mini screencasts to drop in there, just edit in, where I'm talking about what's on the screen. I just went back to my desk and recreated what I did on the screen and made a little hmm. you know, 30-second screencast. And so there are four or five of these that she is editing in to the classroom video, and I've seen that um, I, I think that can be a really good use of screencasts because I've seen that um, done in a similar context. I think it was another Zotero workshop, in fact, that I saw where somebody oh, cool. was teaching it and, um, you know, where, where they were talking about what was on the screen. Then mm-hmm. I, they just sort of cut to a screencast and the narration from the, the live narration from the classroom continues just over the top of the screencast. So. Oh, nice. so I think that, I mean, there are ways that you can make them more interesting and more useful. Right. Um, yeah. And we used to do lots more with um, Captivate. Uh, with, with the interactive ones, but then we we found that they were hard to embed. Uh, it was because it would create these flash things that were just really hard to embed into a libguide. And, and massive too. And, and massive. Mass- and so what we what we found was we couldn't convert them to YouTube, which is what we really wanted to do. Because as soon as you do that, you lose. I mean, if if it's even possible, the, you, yeah. you lose the interactivity. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and these days, I mean, we want to make our learning objects mobile friendly, and you know that interactivity isn't necessarily going to work super well on a tiny screen. So, mm-hmm. you wow. know, screencasts really, at this point, need to not have need to be made so that they could be embedded in YouTube or, you know, be made mobile friendly some other way, and certainly not be Flash. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we never could have predicted that uh, a few years ago. All of these right. Flash tutorials that we were making, we, <laughs> we thought we were geniuses. And then, you know, the iPhone comes along and, oh, well, you know, that's what half of our students have. And they play these things. <laughs> yep. So we're just, and, you know, God knows what the next new technological context is going to be that these things are going to have to work in. Right, right. Now, Jason, so, you, had, you were talking about your instructional design. You have an instructional design librarian, correct? She's not a librarian. She's actually uh, she's got a, a master's in uh, instructional design and something, but it's you know she's got a, an education degree okay. fo- focusing on instructional design. Yeah. And Meredith at, uh, at Portland State, is there someone on um, that you have in in the library that has a similar role? Yeah, just a month ago, actually, we were finally able to um, hire an instructional designer, and we kind of had that that like, do we hire a librarian who uh-huh. knows instructional design a little bit, or do we hire like an instructional designer who doesn't know libraries? And we went with the latter. We went with the um, instructional designer who doesn't know libraries. And while there's been a lot of getting him up to speed with libraries. It's been wonderful to just see like a completely fresh view of like what is possible. I bet. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. I'm just so happy to have him here. Like, finally, we can start really building capacity um, for building learning objects and and really a great system for um, embedding them at users' points of need. 
And we've seen we've seen something like that here with ours because my initial job title here was something like the librarian who knows a little bit of instructional design, and <laughs> I feel like I never really took that and ran with it. I think if you hired me into that job today, I would I, I would maybe do a better job with it because I've you know I've got my feet a little bit more wet, and I I would have a better um, better idea about how to plan something on that scale. But um, I think. Uh, it's interesting, though, that, that both of our libraries have just hired somebody that specifically in that role outside of a library background have, have brought an instructional designer in. Um, because I know just a few years ago there was lots of talk about the instructional design role coming to the library, but this is the first time that I have worked with, actually worked with uh, an instructional designer, and it's it's been terrific because I can just sort of, I can get it kind of halfway there and turn it over to her and say, okay, make this work better than I know how to make it work, and uh, and it's just been great. Well, realistically, I mean, there are only so many things we can have put attached to our job descriptions, you know? I mean, we have to be like scholarly communications experts and liaisons and great instructors and great collection development people and all these things. And then, oh, we also have to be instructional designers too and have all this great expertise in that area. And it's like, really? Gosh, that seems kind of unrealistic. (laughs) How how big is your library, Meredith? How Um, how big a staff do you have? God, I should know the answer to that. Um, I think... Among, like, the public services folks, I think we have 14 people doing instruction, but we okay. have 30,000 students, so it's kind of... Wow, no kidding. We have, like, we have 30,000 students, but we have at least twice that many public services librarians. Yeah, yeah. The university has grown in the library um, not quite as much, so we've had to be really creative with um, with what we do. Yeah, I guess so. So the fact that you've actually devoted a a full time position, exactly. half time, half time, okay. oh half time, okay. But oh, you've should. you've actually devoted a position to instructional solely to instructional design. Although I guess that's just sort of smart investment because you've got to be thinking a lot more about alternative ways besides just face to face classroom to get the instruction get the instructional message out. Exactly, because we can't teach all the classes that we want to here. I mean, at my last job, it was like, yeah, we can actually reach every single freshman in English 101. That's I remember great. you talking hey. about that. Yeah, you actually do get that one-to-one react, uh, interaction. So with your yeah. instructional design, when, so you got you got your halftime position. And mm-hmm. I just, was it just like, were like, was like music playing and harps and like rainbows and bunnies? And I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, what? so what have you made as like, the, but seriously, because you have the yeah. expertise. Um, what did you, I mean, so what right now is kind of the priority that, that you've kind of, that you're working on with the instructional designer? Are you looking at doing more interactive learning objects? Learning objects? Are you looking at, um, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's almost like Christmas. I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Well, we decided, because one thing I've seen that's like probably the biggest problem in libraries with developing learning objects is that we devote all this time to creating really great stuff, or even bad stuff, but we we devote a lot of time to creating (laughs) stuff, and then we don't really spend a lot of time thinking about how to get it to our users in like a good way. Like You'll see these tutorials pages with like tons and tons of junk on it. It's like, really, is that how students are like really approaching... Yeah. Like I have an information need and oh I'll go to the tutorials page. <laughs> so, 
So, of course, they're thinking about how would how would the information that I need be classified, and they're going to find that page on the library site and go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. So I, you know, what's been great is having somebody who can kind of implement the vision that I've had, which is sort of a two-tiered model for embedding um, library instruction. The first is sort of treating the learning objects as more like reference, like like what we do at the reference desk. And we're sort of, I, like I created this insane, crazy flow chart that sort of goes through, like what do people ask at the reference desk? Like I'm doing research on X or I'm looking for articles on this or I have no idea if this is peer reviewed. And getting them to drill, drilling them down to exactly like the one small piece that they need and give it, getting them that answer mm-hmm. through a very sh- small and short learning object. And you know, that works great for students, I hope. You know, I have no idea. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> have me on next year and we'll see. <laughs> um, but, you know, that doesn't um, address the part that we want these to, you know, either supplement or even um, be used instead of face-to-face instruction. So I'm also going to be developing a pay a page for or presence for faculty, which will sort of package um, learning objects together in logical ways, along with um, assessment ideas, maybe worksheets they could assign in class, different activities they could do, and lesson plans. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's like instruction, library instruction in a box, like just add water and put this in your class and you're all set. You're also marketing it. You're saying, here's a need that you have here's how you can use this learning object or this tool or this whatever that we, that's in your class to help you reach this goal. I mean, it's, it really is a, I like how you said the word presence because I think that that's part of it is that it's present and it's, um, it's something that you can push to them and show to them and, and, and make people aware of it. I mean, it's, I think that's important because it's, almost like a branding kind of thing in a way. I mean, even if you called it librarian in a box, what did you call it? Librarian in a box. Librarian in a box. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But really like we know our faculty are super, super busy and the easier we can make it for them to embed information literacy instruction, like the better. Um, Are you, is, uh, um, is your university doing a lot of um, uh, online classes or hybrid classes or is it mostly face to face? We're doing a lot of um, online learning. It's very um, like scattered. Like some some departments are doing a ton with online learning. Some are doing very little. Very few actually have like entire online degree programs. But because we're in the middle of the city and the university has grown so much, you know, we also have space constraints. So we have people who are actually in Portland who you know take a lot of online classes, which also saves them on uh, parking in the city. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I was just curious because I was thinking about, um, as you were talking about the marketing and outreach and stuff, um, GSU, my, my university, GSU, is uh, is starting to do more with hybrid classes, and I don't know how many have gone entirely online um, or what we're doing in the way of, of you know entirely distance-based stuff, but I know that they're looking a lot more about uh, looking at a lot more um, uh, hybrid classes at least and I'm starting to talk to one of my communication professors who teaches um, 
uh, public relations. Um, she's doing an online class, uh, online or hybrid, uh, either, I don't think she's doing it over the summer, but I think in the fall, and we're going to be working together on that, and I'm, I'm thinking about how I can bring the library piece to her, um, and I contacted her and I said, you know, what can I do, because we're, you know, I really want to be doing some outreach to, to this class in particular, because you're doing cool stuff, and I want, right. I want to be part of that, um, and uh, her first thought was, was, well, can you be available, you know, two hours a week in a, a chat room for my students? I'm like, okay, that's not really going to scale because I'm oh going to be God. doing 25 classes in the fall. And, the, you know, if I, if I did two <laughs> hours per class, I was like, can we do something asynchronous? And, you know, so I'm going to be participating on her message boards and, and things like that. But um, I, I'm really thinking that some, you know, some tutorials like this would yeah. be a great way to do uh, outreach to this class. And it's it, because it's sort of a special uh, kind of a pilot class that she got a grant to uh, to do this class in this format in particular. Oh. It would be really cool to spend a little bit of extra time and effort developing some learning objects just for this class, if I can pull that off. So I'm, I'm going to be thinking cool. about how to do that. Yeah. I don't, I'm not always as comfortable with the, uh, the public relations classes because their, their research tends to be more businessy and I'm a lot more comfortable with the, the journalism folks who are doing writing. I know how to do writing. Sure. Yeah. Just, you guys are writing research, you know, um, but they're doing more research that's related to marketing and things like that. But that also gives me a good chance to, uh, to collaborate with my colleagues who do know more about it than I do. So. But a lot of the stuff is universal that we we could teach using learning objects, you know, like how to, you know, how to construct a search or how to how to turn a topic into a research question or how to evaluate sources. I mean, that, you know, that stuff is so universal that right. even business students who people always say are so different, you know, but they still, <laughs> they still have to evaluate sources and they still have to search, and you know, even engineers, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's in, it's so Jason. Is that going to be like when you're talking about there's an online part mm -hmm. of the class? Is that like through Blackboard or what, what um, are people using these days? Is it Blackboard now, the main one that is used yeah. on campuses? Okay. Blackboard has bought everything else. Basically, they've even bought the uh, the open source <laughs> alternatives at this point. So uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're using Blackboard. Um, and uh, but I, as as I understand, I know this this uh, this hybrid class that uh, her name is Natalie Tyndall is the professor who's doing it, and Natalie's class has used uh, in previous iterations she has been using WordPress um, mm. as a yeah as, as a, a, a communication tool for uh, for this class, and having been a distance ed student, I can tell you that my most successful. Uh, or at least the classes where I was most comfortable using the online uh, stuff that was provided to me. My far, by far, my favorite was the stuff where we were using the classes where we were using WordPress. Hmm. Uh, I didn't say that very well. What I'm trying to say is WordPress is way better than Blackboard, and I'm happy that she's using it because it's so much easier to use. It's so much more intuitive, and it doesn't have hmm. you know the, the grading functions and things like that built in. Um, so I imagine that she's still going to be using some of those, but I won't need to work on any of that with her. I would be more involved with the you know um, uh, with the the WordPress interactions, or I think that there may be some uh, some discussion forums 
uh, things like that. And I know that she's going to have me involved in that. So I will be able to show off a little bit and, and post some tutorials in discussion forums and things like that. Um, I, I say show, show off as a joke, but I, I actually plan to try to kind of use this as a good forum to demonstrate to her what we can do right. with this, this format. So I'm hoping that, uh, that I'll be able to come up with some good stuff that I can uh, in, impress this class with. Just yeah, because it is a model, I think this is going to be a model for future classes that happen in the department. So, Yeah, um, and I don't think it's necessarily bad to experiment with stuff that might not scale as long as you realize that from the start. You know, I mean, not that I'm saying you should be in every chat session or whatever, but, <laughs> but you know, even if you were in, in one, like at a really critical time when they have like some kind of research assignment sure. or, or whatever. But, you know, I mean, I think it's fine to experiment with stuff that, that doesn't scale just to get a sense of what's possible. Right. Um, I, I know I was talking with a faculty member about co-teaching a sophomore inquiry class here, and I was like, oh, that would be so cool. Clearly doesn't scale but i might learn a lot from the process of doing it yeah absolutely and i'm I'm kind of looking at sort of in-person ways that i can do that i mean obviously you're talking about a, a real live classroom example as well um right. i'm going to try just sort of sitting in on uh some some uh, classes over the summer just a because i want to improve my own subject knowledge in the area I've, I've realized that's something that would would benefit me and uh b i think it'll be a good outreach thing where i can mm -hmm. just you know try this out and see if i get more student contact from these classes if i just come and sort of observe a couple of class sessions they'll at least know my name and face a little bit better um and and i want to see how that uh works out and as you say it's not you know something that can't scale i couldn't do it Possibly, couldn't possibly do it for every class or even uh, a significant fraction of them. But I'm, I'm kind of picking and choosing uh, right. professors that I've worked with well before who know me and, and feel like, you know, they feel like I bring some value to the class so I can ask them, hey, can we try this out? Um, I don't feel like I've done enough uh, experimentation like that lately, and I'm trying to avoid getting into a rut. So I'm thinking that trying some new stuff like this will help shake me out of that some. Yay! That's, That's good. <laughs> well, thank you. I love seeing people experiment I with know. stuff, and I love the idea of kind of lurking and being present. I mean, lurking is a terrible word, but being present, <laughs> being present. That's probably a good way of saying it. Yeah, and I'm going to try this. Like I said, this is for my benefit, uh, at least as much as anything else, because I'm looking at like some communication theory classes, which I don't have any background in. I mean, mm -hmm. I I took a couple of journalism classes when I was an undergrad, but you know, otherwise the only subject knowledge that I have in this area is just stuff that I've picked up by osmosis, and I think it'll it'll benefit me. I will have a a, a better grasp of what the students are talking about. Uh, when they come to me and say I'm working on this assignment, I'll be able to say, oh, this is that theory that you talked about in class or, or whatever. So I'm kind of picking and choosing a couple of classes where I can do that. So, And, you know, maybe that'll give me some ideas for uh, for uh, some online stuff that I can produce that will scale better. Oh, right. they talked about this thing in class, and I don't address it on my LibGuide at all. You know, maybe I can make a tutorial or, or update my LibGuide or whatever. I guess the nice thing about the online, how, how there's this online part to the class is that it's almost, um, in some ways, it's, it's a perfect equation because you can actually become, um, 
I'm trying to think of the word. I want to use the word embedded, but I feel like that's so, you know, whatever, overused. No, I'm, just, I'm overthinking my words at this point. But, I mean, you're gonna, you can come into the class at a critical time. You're not just, oh, okay, now we have a visit from the librarian. I mean, you're actually coming in when they need you or if there's a, a, a point, if they've come to a fork in the road or whatnot. Um, and it, come, it has to deal with their research, and it's actually part of the class. I mean, it's not right. how sometimes we're looked at, like, here's the left arm, but the right arm doesn't really know what's going on. I mean, it's, um, I don't know. I think it's, I, I, I would love to see more of that. And, and when I was at academic libraries, I did not, we didn't really, I mean, we had the Blackboard or the WebCT or whatever was going on at that point. Um, but it didn't seem like it was important, if that makes any sense. It was like, yes, we have a Blackboard module. This class has a Blackboard module, and there's a librarian there. But I almost felt like the professors weren't using the Blackboard to its potential either, or oh, that online absolutely. presence, whatever it, whatever it be. Um, but Jason, I just think that you know, you've got this professor who sounds like she. She, yeah, Natalie. she's going uh-huh. to use it to its advantage, and you're going to be present there. You're going to be in there. I, I think I think so, and I think this is going to work well, and I think I'll learn from the experience because you know, like Meredith and I were saying, we're, you know, I was an online student, right. did my whole mm-hmm. library degree online, as I've talked about many times, um, and that gave me a lot of perspective on what worked well. But I haven't been, I you know, I haven't been embedded or present for for an online class in in the way that I think I could turn out to be in this case. Um, and again, this is somebody that I've worked with before many times. You know, she she appreciates the value that the library brings to the class. So, and I know she's really open to experimentation, particularly at this point because this is a new project for her as well. She's That's taught great. it at least once before, but I know that she is still in that stage where she's working out what you know what works well for her as far as the class format goes. Um, and she she told me that you know the the previous section of it uh, that she taught uh, taught her a lot of stuff that she wants to you know sort of uh, polish or or improve or do more of for next time. Mm-hmm. So I know she's still very much thinking in terms of of assessing and improving and and experimenting. Right. So which is a really neat place to be as the librarian coming into this class, you know, because they're they're more than open to uh, uh, to hearing our ideas at that point. Yeah, that's always the time when you really know that you can, like, embed yourself or, or embed instruction or, you know, really create exciting changes is when there's, like, a cl- the class is changing, the, like, departmental curriculum is changing. It's, like, mm-hmm. you just, as a liaison, have to just jump on those kind of things because, they're you know, you're so much more likely to create change that way than trying to get into a well-established course where they've been doing the same thing for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is I wouldn't have even known about this, but a, a couple of weeks ago I went to a talk by um, the, oh boy, I'm going to get this name wrong, but he's the director of our Center for Instructional Innovation, I think mm-hmm. is the name of the center on campus, which is basically, you know, teaching with technology and and uh, for faculty who want to improve their teaching and stuff like that. And he and the president of the university gave this talk about um, innovations in college teaching and how to make things scale and what can we do and so on. And, I mean, the president of the GSU was there and he was like, this is stuff we need to be paying attention to. And they brought, uh, they brought up Natalie's class as an example 
example of cool innovation that was taking place at sure. GSU. Natalie didn't know this. She wasn't at the talk. Uh, I, I tweeted at her and said, hey, it was really cool to see your class mentioned in President Becker's talk. And she's like, what are you talking about? I didn't know they were going to do that. So that's how I got involved in this class is I emailed her after this and said, uh, look, if you're doing this class again, I want to be in on this. So, you know, uh, librarians who are listening, go to campus events because you'll be surprised what you learn that's going on oh, yeah. uh, in your own departments. So, uh, But that was really cool. I was, I was glad that I... I went to that because um, uh, several people that I know got uh, got shout outs on stage uh, for this this you know innovative teaching and things like that. So oh, that's great. Um, Meredith, are you guys using LibGuides or another similar system? We we are. We just um, purchased LibGuides in June, so we haven't uh-huh. had it too long. But there's just been such an explosion since we got it of content creation. I was just, uh, I've been thinking as we've been talking about how to, because we use guides extensively. I mean, like, uh, like you said, we've just, we really, uh, they've exploded here in the three years that I've been here, three and a half years. And, um, we, we rely on them very heavily to put stuff out there that will scale to a large number of classes. And I'm, I've been thinking about how we can make these more interactive things fit into this system that we're already using. Oh, this is a really neat uh, side note. I just came, before we were recording, I came from my office hours and I had a, a long, uh, really interesting consultation with a, a faculty member who's doing some research. And she said she uses one of my LibGuides as a, a jumping off point to get to the library stuff sometimes. She's just gotten bookmarked and she's like, I can't remember how to get to... <laughs> You know, JSTOR or LexisNexis or whatever it was, but I know it's linked off this research guide, so I'll just hop off to that. And I was so gratified to hear that. I love that. That's, I, oh, that's I, just what I, you want to hear. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Because, uh, you know, you don't always know. You can look at stats, but you don't always know if people are using these. So I told her it was, it was really great to hear that, uh, uh, that she was actually finding it useful, even when the students weren't. Um, yeah, and again, that's one of those things that we put so much time into creating and, and trying to get the balance right of uh, how much content. And, and I guess now you can, I mean, I've never used LibGuides. I've never created with it. But I think you can add, you can embed learning objects into it, correct? I mean, you could do a little mm-hmm. interactive sure. whatnot here and there to kind of, you know, where it would make sense. And um, again, it's just those things. I look at them on pages and I do, I'm like, a lot of time went into this. And you always wonder, is it being used? And how is it being used? And that anecdotal feedback that you got is neat. And it's something you can kind of keep in mind. Yeah, I was like, I wish she had emailed that to me so I could print it out and put it in my, my next dossier. But <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I know I'll get a nice email from her over the course of the next three years or whatever. So, um, yeah, but basically any – I mean, you can just do raw HTML in, in a LibGuides box. So anything that you can embed uh, into a web page, you can put into a LibGuide, and that's, that's not a big problem. Um, something the size – I mean, just the size of this um, – JSTOR thing that you Arizona did. Uh, right. I, I've been trying to think how you would format something like that, but I mean that's that's not. A, you can always link out, you know. You, you can link out, right. and you can do a screenshot to attract attention to it or whatever. I mean, these are just sort of design decisions that you can make. So some thought would have Definitely. to go into like that in, into that, but. Um, and that's one thing that I was able to do with. I mentioned. Um, the, the Google Forms quiz that I did, which is, mm-hmm. 
I, I'm getting ideas from this Arizona quiz um, for how I could make my quiz better, actually, because they have much, they have better designed quiz questions than I have written. I've never learned how to write a quiz or a test, actually, now they're that so, I think of it. They're so hard. Like, I've, I've been thinking I wanted to create, like, a test bank for my colleagues if they want to do, like, performance-based um, kind of assessments like that with a quiz. Like, but it's, you know, I'm just like, oh, it's so hard to be that creative with the questions and design them well so that you actually get good data from the answers. Right, right. <laughs> I, when I, when I first designed that quiz for this journalism history class, um, I suddenly had a lot more um, um, empathy for the faculty who talk about how hard it is to write tests and to grade and, and so on because I had to figure out, okay, what question and I really had to come back to library instruction 101 the learning outcomes what do I want you know what are my learning objectives for this class and what do I need to test for and I had to just write those questions and I did it with a colleague I keep saying I I, I did half of it um, mm -hmm. but we had to write these questions with the learning objectives firmly concretely in mind and figure out exactly what we needed to test for because we only got you know five or six questions on this thing and we had to we had to figure out how best to figure out are they learning what we want them to learn right so yeah that's that's hard to do but this is a good model for that i'm gonna go through and and look at it kind of with that in mind and, and figure out what they're doing with these uh these questions they're asking questions like uh here's your topic history of rhetoric in presidential debates what are the two to five most important words for this topic? I really like right. that, actually. Yeah. And there's that's only... one that students never get right. They're like, I'll just put in the whole sentence. Right. And one, there's only one choice. It's a multiple choice. And the, there's only one choice that has the word rhetoric in it. And uh, I really like that because uh, that's, um, that's a tricky question to, to think about as a student. So. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. But I'm getting some really good ideas from this, so this is this is cool. Yeah, I was just the minute I saw it, I was like, yes, yes, this is what we always always needed. <laughs> um, Anna, we need to keep an eye on this, and Meredith, maybe you'll help us and help us remember to follow up on the um, uh, this project here. Is is guide on the side? Is that the actual name of their? tutorial project or what is the name of this this software product yeah they're creating? yeah they call it they call it the guide on the side they do okay it's, i wasn't it's just sure. the best title ever <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't like, sure if that was just your column title that's the name of the actual software that's terrific um but i i really want to follow up on this on the podcast and look at it once the um uh once the software comes out i mean once they actually release the source code and we can look at creating some stuff with this i would really love to um try it out and uh, and see how hard it is to to make some stuff and do kind of a a follow-up episode on it um so i um i hope i'm that definitely I'll... excited to see the developer side of it to see and by developer i mean not what they're doing and what they're developing but what they're creating for so they can kind of so it can be canned i guess for so so other people can use it right. like meredith you're going to be using it at portland mm -hmm. state eventually just to kind of, I just want to know all the bells and whistles and what it can, what it's gonna, what it, what what results it will yield for us also in an assessment way. That's the thing. Cause like you were saying, you're always trying, you're trying to build a culture of assessment. And whenever I think about the learning object, objects, I always think, how are we, 
how are we assessing that? How do we know it's working? How do we know people are using it? And are they learning from it? Or is it just a nice, fancy <laughs> thing in the middle of the website <laughs> that, that's yeah. there to show what we can do kind of thing? I mean, it's, I always wonder, how do we, how do we measure that? Because time goes into it, and that's kind of what we've has come up a few times during this conversation, is that there's a lot of time that goes into developing these tools for people to use. And it's exactly. worth our time. Yeah, and I don't think most libraries have done that much assessment of learning objects. Like, maybe they'll look at how many hits it got. Right. That doesn't really tell you, like, was it useful? Did they get something right. out of it? Are they better capable of doing what you hoped they would do after watching it? Like, that's really the meat of of what we need to know right and I think it's nice to know because you know you'll see like um I'm try- I think it's NC State that has the YouTube channel where I mean you can go on and they they're kind of looking at the stats there if people give it a thumb you know on YouTube you can give it a thumbs up thumbs down sure. have yeah, people sure. favorited it whatever and that does tell you something it's just like it, it's like the two-tiered pr- approach when you're evaluating or assessing your instructor you know, did they do a good job presenting the information? I mean, that's important, but it's also important to know the other side of it, which is, did it did it um, successfully help them a- obtain that learning objective that you were hoping they would get out of this, you know, 30-second right. learning object <laughs> kind of thing? But you want to know if they liked it also, because at least you know that they were using it. Totally. Yeah, I mean, if you if you put ten hours into developing something like this and ten students use it, I you know I really can't justify <laughs> using that. But I've got to no. be able. I mean, you've got to be able to. And if a hundred students are using it, then yeah, that's that's a lot more reasonable. And if it's especially if it's something that's going to be valid for a long time. I mean, right. uh, uh, Meredith mentioned what happens if the tutorial interface goes out of date. Um, you know, and you have to redo your whole tutorial. I know we've all sort of had that pain from time yes. to time. I know I have with my Zotero tutorials not long yeah. ago. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm really mad every time they update Zotero and I have to redo my tutorials. <laughs> but the but. thing with the guide on the side software is that it uses a live website. So you're not exactly. having to change. And if you're it's just... just like a couple of words Exactly. Or if it's just text, text is so easy to update. Yeah. 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 Very cool. So, I, I mean, I was, I was, when I read your article, Meredith, I was just glad to see, I was, that was brought to our attention. I'm like, I just, we were all very excited about it. So we were, we were glad you shared it with the masses. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll certainly keep you guys up to date on uh, what our experience is like with it. And I know I'd always be happy to talk to uh, you guys on the podcast in the future if uh, you're interested. Please do. Yeah, we would love that, of course. Um, I know Rachel was disappointed that she couldn't be here uh, for this conversation. Um, we're coming up on the one-hour mark, and it sounds like maybe we're wrapping up this this discussion. Um, Meredith, do you have anything else that you want to um, uh, promote that you're working on or uh, or anything else that you'd like us to uh, to link to or anything like that before we, uh, before we close out the conversation? Not that I can think of. I just think this is uh, was a really exciting conversation. It's great to see that, you know, there's so much creativity happening in the profession. Even if we're not always getting it right the first time, you know, we're retooling, we're thinking about new ways of doing things, and, and we're looking beyond our own institutions. Absolutely. And I'm, st- I'm doing my um, 
uh, instruction librarian boot camp for uh, Simmons College Online, we are going to be doing some video tutorials. But this has given me a lot to think about about what makes a uh, which what should we be doing and not doing in these things. So um, awesome. This was uh, this was a, an interesting conversation yes, for me in that very respect much as so. well. Okay, Great. cool. So this has been episode 35 of Adventures in Library Instruction. Thank you all very much for listening. We will be back next month with another very exciting special guest, and uh, we will talk to you all in a month. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Van Skoik. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Bonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.